Good morning. Oh, that was lousy. <clears throat> Try this again. Good morning. Better. I feel a little bit better with that one there, too. I will put in a shameless plug. Um, actually, that, that, that wonderful uh, song was written by Keith and Kristen Getty, The Lord is My Salvation. They will be on the DBU campus this next Monday, and you can buy tickets by going online to dbu.edu slash Getty. I'm the communications guy. I got to do these kind of things. But seriously, it's a wonderful event. You can come on up there. It's going to be a great, great evening. Uh, as Dad mentioned, my name is Blake, Blake Killingsworth. Uh, I serve at DBU as Vice President for Communications. Been there for about, uh, since 1994, actually. Uh, I went through Pflugerville Middle School, graduated Pflugerville High School, class of 1994, go Panthers. Okay. It's, it's, yeah. There's so many other high schools now, I don't know what's going on. So um, when I left here, Pflugerville was still in that 3,000 category, I think. So yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. Um, and when I was here, actually, uh, there in my senior year, February of my senior year, if I recall correctly, it was a Disciple Now weekend. Uh, at the time, uh, Dr. Washburn was, of course, pastor at the time. I think that was before he was doctor, so it was just Brother Washburn, Brother Steve. And then uh, Walter Ballou was, was my youth minister at the time, so a few of y'all know that. And at the time, uh, we were at a Disciple Now weekend, and there's a group of us seniors that were there, and actually what was amazing was God began to work in that group of seniors. And so for the most part, if I remember right, there's about four or five of us that got called into active ministry during that particular weekend. It was a wonderful experience. And so uh, at that time, I decided that, um, that I needed to, um, to, I was going to do my own thing. I was going to go ahead and go off and, and do something in business or whatever. Uh, but the Lord got a hold of my heart, and he began to say, Blake, I need to call you into, into full-time vocational ministry. And what was really interesting at the time was there was only three choices, I thought, three choices available. Senior pastor, uh, church music minister, or, or missionary. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not to the mission field. I didn't, didn't fill that one. Wasn't senior pastor. So I figured, you know, the last one stood. And so I went to DBU as a church music major. And I realized in my very first music theory class that I was not called to be a church music major at the time. I would rather learn Greek than anything in that. The demented sevenths were just something I could not handle and understand. And so I realized really quickly that that wasn't exactly my calling. And what was amazing that God did was God began to open up my eyes to recognize that the calling He places in our lives are much broader than we would ever imagine, especially the call to full-time vocational ministry. I still felt very much called to that, thinking that that's the case, and He began to show me that the calling He had in my life was in Christian higher education. And so He's allowed me to serve at DBU for these past, uh, I think it's 22 years full-time now, I've been there since basically 1994, and at DBU, uh, we, we believe firmly that all truth is God's truth wherever it may be found. We believe that if you look through life with a Christian worldview, you not only understand things better, but you understand the Creator better as in the midst of that. We, we believe firmly that a redeemed soul, properly trained, can really transform the world. And so I get to be a part of that. It's an amazing experience that, that I get to do every day. And so uh, I'm extremely grateful, though, that I get to come back to what I do consider to be my home church. Y'all licensed me to the ministry, so that's on you. You know, y'all should have… <laughs> Should have done a better job, possibly, for, for that. Um, I didn't mean that in a good way. I'm just, I'm warning you. If it, if it comes back, it's, it's yeah, it's going to be on y'all. But um, so y'all are responsible for some level of that, but I am uh, extremely grateful. 
I'm also grateful to kind of have this Sunday, which is a really unique moment in the history of your church. Uh, I had a chance when we were here, we were over in the old sanctuary building. Uh, Brother Steve had just kind of begun. He was a few years into it. And we got to see how the church grew and all the things, the wonderful things that now we look back that the history of the church kind of represents. But y'all get to have a, a new chapter, right? Wes and Bethany will be here, and it's incredibly exciting. In fact, uh, our church went through something very similarly. We, we had a pastor who had been there for 30-something years, and he uh, stepped down about a year before Brother Steve did. And so we went through the same search process. I was on the committee for the search process, and I'll tell you, we, we spent many times in prayer. We asked the Lord, what do we need to do, trying to look through all the resumes, hundreds of resumes coming through. And the Lord led us to just the right person, a, a guy by the name of Josh Prince, and we're really excited that he's here. He's also a DBU grad, so I'm loving that. It's great. It's wonderful. Uh, and uh, when Dad, Dad was serving on the search committee, he and I sometimes would kind of trade notes about, he'd say, so what did y'all do here? You know, what were some of the forms you used? What were some of the things? And so I got to kind of keep up on the process. And when I found that, that, that y'all were looking at Wes, I was really excited because, again, DBU guys, so we, we do good stuff every once in a while. I'm the exception. Everyone else is good. Uh, and so I really, was really excited and uh, also really excited because the, my boss, uh, former boss, I should say, Dr. Gary Cook, who was president, was very much one of, one of Wes's recommendations. And so he, he, he uh, backed Wes very much. Our vice president for student affairs, Dr. Jay Harley, backed Wes very much. Our current president, Dr. Adam Wright, backed Wes very much. So I guess it's on us then if, if there. But I do want to challenge y'all that as this begins, I want y'all to take really good care of Wes. Because one thing that I've kind of noticed in the first year with Josh back at our church is, is there is that honeymoon period. And then there's that period where people begin to get a little, I don't know, uncomfortable, right? Something wasn't done the way it was supposed to be done, or, or that was always, that, that cart was always here, it wasn't there, right? The, the horse isn't in the right spot, right? They, there, there's something that changes and different, and what begins to happen is this little grumbling kind of comes along. And I'm grateful that our grumbling is relatively minor, but I have seen what it kind of does in the heart of a very young pastor with his first pastorate. I know Josh is up late nights just worrying and thinking through those things, so I want to encourage you guys. When Wes gets here, I saw that y'all have notes out there for encouragement. That's amazing, and that's great, but, but don't make it just day one. Make it every week. Uh, it is perfectly fine to hold him accountable. The Lord is holding him accountable. He's always accountable to the Word of God. Anyone who's proclaiming the Word of God, the Bible stands over and above them. Don't listen to what they say if you can't find it there, right? This is our authority, not, not a mere man, but the Word of God. Hold him accountable. Hold, hold, you know, we need to hold each other accountable, but give him grace. Give him love. Give him the ability to kind of step in and, and just show him support. The support that I know First Pflugerville can do, I want to really encourage you all to do that for him. That's just a shameless plug. Wes and I haven't exchanged anything at all. I just know what that first year, first couple of years looks like when you're kind of going through some transition changes that it can be tough. So I just want to encourage you all in that. Show him grace, show him love, and show him that y'all are really glad, and I'm really glad that he's the pastor here now. Uh, today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 25. So if you have your Bibles, your iPhones, your iPads, your Androids, your person sitting in front of you that you're looking over their shoulder, I don't know how you're going to do it. But we'll turn over to Matthew chapter 25. And as we look at Matthew chapter 25, I want to set for you the context 
of this particular story. We're going to be looking at the, the parable of the, the talents, but you need to understand the context that's leading into this. Remember, uh, anytime you engage in the Word of God, context is key. Uh, never just take a verse, throw it on the wall like a thing of wet spaghetti and hope it sticks. You want to make sure to know what's going on there, and you want to make sure what's surrounding it, because everything written in here is for our good, for His glory, but it's also meant for somebody in a specific time, in a specific location, for a specific purpose. And the amazing thing about God's Word is when we understand the specific time, specific location, specific purpose, and we know what's really being said there and then then the Word of God begins to transform our hearts as we understand that message that's going on there. I think too often we just kind of thumbnail it, we're going to say this, and we, we move on. We don't understand the context. So because of that, I'm going to give you a little context. And if you don't like that, I'm sorry. I'm, you're stuck here for a little bit. If you feel free to leave. I, 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 I know mom and dad may need to do that in a minute. They're just going to be embarrassed to me and walk out of here. So that's perfectly fine. I'm not looking over there. I won't make eye contact if they need to, if they need to move on. There that is. So the context for here, Jesus is with his disciples. He's in the temple area, and he begins to leave. And as he's leaving out, probably through the eastern gate there, as he's making his way out towards the Mount of Olives, he turns around and tells his disciples, all these buildings are coming down, right? A really weird thing to say. We don't remember sometimes that when the Bible says certain things, we just kind of take it as it makes sense. But at the time, the disciples were probably walking along going, what was that? I... He, all of this stuff is coming down, right? So they're confused. They're confused because they don't really know who Jesus is. He's not fully revealed himself. Jesus knows full well who he is. Jesus is looking to the cross, right? The next day in this is when everything begins to happen with the trial and moving forward. And Jesus knows what he's talking about, but the disciples have not a clue. And you can tell they're confused. You can tell they're confused because they begin to ask questions. And I'll say this, questions are great. The Bible and Jesus can handle any question you throw at it, but just be prepared because Jesus or the Bible will answer a question that you may not know that you really should have asked. And that's what happened with the disciples. The disciples begin to ask a question, and, and much like we do all the time, we want to get the inside scoop. So what do they ask? They say, oh, tell us. When is this going to happen? Can I put it on my calendar? I want to figure this out. Give me the hour and the day that this is actually going to happen. You think of it like, like even right now, I think we're, we're looking at the, uh, the beginning of NFL games. So all those NFL insiders are giving you the inside scoop, right? Getting your fantasy teams put together. If you need to do that on your phone right now, I'll turn the other way. If someone's injured, you need to put them in. That, that's fine. That's fine. I, I know fantasy football, right? Now, all those insider uh, trade secrets, insider this, and the disciples wanted that. They wanted to know the, the inside scoop on this. And Jesus refuses to give it to them. Instead, Jesus comes back with two things to explain what will happen when the Son of God comes back, and then three, in, three stories that provide an instruction. The first thing he basically says to them is, look, it's going to be obvious. You catch that in the beginning of chapter 24. It's going to be obvious. You're going to see and understand it's coming. People will say it's happening here in secret. People will say it's happening there. But make sure you know, just like lightning from the east can be seen in the west, you will know when it happens. And the second thing he says is, it also happens suddenly. You catch that in the end of chapter 24. It's going to happen suddenly. Just like a, an individual at his house with a thief coming in the night all of a sudden, 
It'll happen all of a sudden. So he goes, it's going to be obvious. It'll be sudden. And then Jesus begins to tell people how to prepare for that time. Again, they're asking for a calendar date. They've got their Google calendar set up and go, okay, if you just give this to me here, I'll prep for it, right? And I don't know about you, but if I have something on my calendar that's a month away, you know when I begin to work on it? About a month away, right? I'll start to kind of get ready for it. If, it. if it takes a lot of work, I might wait two days before a month away, right? And that's kind of what the disciples are wanting to know. Let me just get it together, Jesus. You, you let me know. I'll, I'll get ready towards the date. And Jesus doesn't do that, but he does tell them how to get ready. And we have this first uh, parable, parable of the ten virgins, or, or we can almost say ten bridesmaids here, right? Their job is to wait in the streets at night when the bridegroom comes to welcome him into the wedding feast. They all have these lamps with wicks uh, and oils in order to light the way. Five of them are wise. They prepare for a long night. They prepare for a long haul. Five of them are unwise. They don't prepare. The unwise ones have to go out and get more oil. The, the ones who are wise have the oil and they're ready to go. And the ones who are wise go into the wedding feast and the ones who are unwise are left out. So what is Jesus saying? Be prepared. Get prepared for the long haul. Be prepared. Don't, don't be, it's going to be sudden. It's going to be obvious, but be prepared. Don't think it's going to happen right now, but it might, but don't think it's going to happen right now. Be prepared. Then we get the parable of the talents, and then we get the story of the sheep and the goats. And I want to be very careful when I say story or the telling instead of a parable, because how Jesus sets up the sheep and the goats, he doesn't say there was a time or it's like this. He is telling us that this will happen. When the Son of Man returns, he will gather everyone in front of him. He will separate it from the sheep and the goats. And basically what that separation entails is those who do what Jesus needs them to do and those who do not do what they need to do. Again, you catch that as the, in that interchange, Jesus, or the Son of Man says to them, it's Jesus, but he also refers to it as the Son of Man, that when I was, when I was uh, poor, when I was hungry, when I was in jail, you came to me. You helped me. And the sheep say, but when did we do this? And said, so what you did for the least of these, you did for me and, and for the goats over there. And, and the goats are saying, uh, but, but Jesus said, you didn't do this, but when did we not do this? Well, when you didn't do for the least of these, you didn't do for me. And so what's the separation? It's what they did and they didn't do. And the ones who did the right thing are entered into the kingdom. They're, they're given into the joy of that. Those who didn't are put out in the, in the street and the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those are the ones who are cast away, right? Now, keep in mind, and I want to be very, very clear, this is not a works-based theology by any stretch of the imagination. We are not saved by works. The only way in which we receive salvation is because of the work of Jesus, not us. It's a very, very clear distinction. If you're here this morning and maybe you're thinking, I've just done enough to get by, let me tell you something. I hate to be the one to break this to you. No, I'm actually glad I'm the one who's going to break this to you. You haven't. You can never do enough just to get by. And it doesn't matter if you're five or if you're 55 or if you're 105. You can never earn your way back because we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And because of that fact, we are standing in judgment. Because of the sin in our lives and our inherent nature, we're standing in judgment because of that. And only because of the blood of Christ, as Jesus is telling the story, he knows how this is going to end, right? He knows the cross is coming. And because of that, he's able to say this. But 
today I will, I will encourage you, today I'll plead with you that if you don't know this Jesus, we'd love to tell you about Him. We'd love for you to be with those sheep and to enter into the paradise that God has promised us for those who love His Son. But what this story tells us is how do we see evidence of those who love His Son? You see, the works are the fruit of what's really happening inside. And so he sets up. You got the sheep and the goats over there. And he's basically telling them, do the work that we've called you to do. So he's saying that the end times will be obvious. It'll be sudden. You need to be prepared. Parable of the talents. We'll get back to that in a minute. And then you got the sheep and the goats. That you need to be about the business that I've called you to be about. And then smack dab in the middle, we have this parable of the talents. And so if you would, if you have your Bible, we're going to read through this. And I want to kind of uh, unpack, walk through a little bit of this today. Um, We begin here in verse 14 again. Again, and it's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God here. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to him, to them. Now, we'll say this just as a quick aside. As Jesus is saying this, and as he's setting up all these different stories along the way, the master or the bridegroom or the son of man should really be understood as Jesus in this, right? It's God. It's the authority figure who's leaving. We're going to call it master. I may slip up several times in this and call it God, call him God, but you get the understanding. There's this authority figure that's set there and is leaving for a journey. When you leave for a journey, usually you come back, right? Leaving for the journey. So he called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his way, went on his journey. I want to say another thing real quick. Often when we hear this sermon preached, we think about the talents as actually being the talents that we receive, and and, well, I'm really gifted at this, or I can really do this well, or I can really do this well. I don't really think that's the key point of what's going on here. You may think to yourself, well, well, it's talking about money, so it's the money I get, and that somehow I'm supposed to do this with the money. It's still not really the point here. What you catch early on is that the master is entrusting his property to his servants to do something with it. What the servants would usually do if the master was around, the master is leaving but he's entrusting the property to him. So think of it more as responsibilities. Think of it more as responsibilities or those things that God has entrusted or the master has entrusted to the servants. We keep on reading in verse 16, the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained you two more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. 
You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one talent came. Master, he said. Notice the tone change that's going to begin to happen here. I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have at least received back interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the other one who has 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not a very pleasant end to this, right? Well, the title of the sermon I want to go with is this idea of get to work. Get to work. And I really think we can have three takeaways from this passage. Three takeaways that if we apply these and carry these out, then we will be about our work when the master returns. And the first one is this. You need to be mindful. Be mindful. Where do I get that from? You catch it really early on with the first two servants. The first two servants, what did that say that they do? They, they receive the talent. They receive the property. They receive the responsibility. And there's this wonderful word. Immediately, they go. Immediately, they take off. They are mindful of the fact that what has been entrusted to them is not theirs. It's their master's. So what do they do? They take it and they immediately get to work on it. They're mindful of the responsibility that's in front of them. They're mindful of the fact that the master will be returning soon. So what do they do? They immediately get going. How about you? Do you recognize that, that God has given you a responsibility? God has given you a calling. God has given you his property to do with what he's called you to do. Are you mindful of that? Are you mindful that it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, the responsibility is still there? How do I know this? Because the master's not come back yet. So the master is gone. We're here in this moment with the responsibilities in front of us, the talent he's provided to us. Remember, I'm not necessarily saying the talent to do this, the talent to do this. It's the calling. It's the call. It's what he's called you to do. What has he called us to do? Love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as ourselves. He's called us to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth and also the end of Noton, right? Over there on Pecan. He's called us to do that, to gather in, to proclaim that God is God and Jesus is Lord. That, that's your calling. That's not just two or, it's not just Wes's calling. That's your calling. Are you mindful of that? Because that's, that's the responsibility that the master has given to you. Take this a little broader. First Baptist Pflugerville is on this amazing corner here in a town that has amazing growth. Do you understand the responsibility that's been given to you? 
I mean, certainly we can look around and think, okay, well, this was, this was built with this, and so-and-so led this project, and so-and-so led this project, and everything else. And we can start to claim our pews, start to claim our chairs, start to claim our classroom, et cetera, et cetera, and all that kind of stuff. But it ain't yours. Amen. We get in trouble when we think that this building belongs to us. We're just the stewards. We're just the servants. We're just here for the meantime until God shows back up, right? So are we about the business? Are we mindful of that? Are we carrying that on? Or are we just sitting here just passing time? We must be mindful. Keep that in front of mind. Second thing, be focused. Be focused. Where do I get that from? I'm glad you asked. I wound up, if you look and see how the third servant responded, you see this amazing contrast compared to the first two servants. Remember, I mentioned the first two servants where they were mindful and they got after it, right? They were mindful that, that that's the responsibility. The master's coming back. They remain on that, and they were focused in. They were focused. But what happened with the third servant? Oh, well, we catch that in his response. There in verse 24, he says, uh, the master comes back, and he says, Master, again, listen to that tone change. Master, I knew you were a hard man. Off the bat, he has his excuse. Off the bat, he starts. And you know what that excuse is? It's your fault. It ain't mine. I mean, that harkens back to the first sin. We have, we have the beginning of sin in the garden. And what does Adam do? The woman you gave me, God, ain't my fault. You're the one who did this to me. So, God, you really need to think better next time. Right? Same thing here. And, and again, keep in mind that at the very beginning of this, we find out that each of the individuals to receive their talents were given that amount according to their ability. The master knew full well what they could do. The master's not stupid. The master isn't overestimating anything. He knows exactly what they can do. So he gives it to them. And what does, this, what does the servant say? You, you are a hard man. You harvest where you've not sown. You gather seed where you've not scattered. So I was afraid. There's the second excuse. You're hard. I was afraid. I didn't think. So, so you know what I did? <laughs> I hid it. I hid it so nothing would happen to it. You see, this guy lost all focus. He lost all focus on what he needed to do. I mean, circle back and just think that if the master had remained there, was this something the servant would have done naturally? Probably not. The servant would have probably stayed focused on the business at hand, but he doesn't. He goes off and he thinks about something else. He loses that focus. So he buries it. And what, is the, what does the master say in response? The master basically says in response, you should have at least let someone else handle it. I mean, if you're sitting there being so lazy, if you had just given it to someone else, at least that would have been handled. Come back to us. Are we focused? Are we focused on what God's called us to be at the time? Are we focused on the mission God has given us? Are we focused on the fact that if God says you need to go talk to that person, we actually do it? Or do we come up with all the excuses? If God's called us just to be simply kind to somebody, you know how much further the gospel could go if Christians could just be kind for like five minutes sometimes? You know, are you focused on what that is? See, what happens with, with this with this with this third servant as he loses that focus. He buries it, but notice he also keeps it to himself. He buries it in secret. 
That's when the master comes back. He's like, if you've just gotten out of the way, right? Not only are you worthless, lazy servant, but you're getting in the way. You know, God's called us to do something. We have to remain focused on that. Mindful of the fact it's not ours. Focused on the fact that we need to be about that. And third is be disciplined. I'm going to say be diligent. I like diligent better. Be diligent. Be diligent with what God has called you to do, what the master has called you to do. How do I get that? If you look at the responses. The first two servants, they receive the talent, they invest the talent, there's this return on the talent, and then there's this reward coming back. That, that's, that's the guy with the five, right? Guy with the two. Receive the talent, invest the talent, return on the talent, and then reward. They were diligent. They carried on. We know right now that it says that the master went away for a long time. It took work. It took work for them to continue on that path. Uh, and, and you also catch what they, what they did and didn't do. Like you got, you got this third guy who's saying, Master, it's hard, you're difficult, blah, 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 blah. The other two don't say a thing about that diligence. They, they just do their work. They don't sit there and tell, tell the master how hard it was or anything else. Why? Because they were diligently working this whole time. They didn't let themselves get distracted. But what does the third servant do? He receives the talent. So right now, he's in the exact same spot as everybody else. So instead of investing, he buries it. Instead of receiving a return on the reward, he gives excuses. And instead of receiving a reward, he's cast out. He's cast out at that point. You see, that, that, that third guy wasn't diligent. That third guy didn't stay the course. That third guy might have even thought to himself, well, well, this is like a sprint. I'm going to get to the end of the road and I'm okay. But, but the Christian life, the life that we have to live while the master is away is a marathon because we don't know when he's coming back. We know it's going to be obvious. We know it's going to be sudden. He's already said that. But we've got to keep pushing. We've got to keep being diligent in the midst of that. And this third guy didn't do that. He just came up with excuses after excuses. What about you? Uh, we, were, we were in a, um, a family counseling session. Uh, my, um, my, my wife and I adopted Chloe, and one of the things they encourage you to do is go through, uh, go through counseling. So we were in one of these, and the counselor looked at me and said, okay, Dad, so have you, have you developed other relationships with other adoptive parents? And I said, well, um, I, I was going to, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, well, you're good at excuses, aren't you? And I said, yeah, my spiritual gift is excuses. I'm really good at this, Yeah. Is your spiritual gift excuses? By the way, that's not a spiritual gift, just so y'all understand. But is that what we do? Well, God, I'm, I, I, I don't have enough money. Well, God, I have too much money. Well, God, I don't have enough time. Lord, I have too much time. I got other stuff I need to do, right? I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too middle. I'm too busy at work. I'm too busy at home. I'm too, 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 blah, 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 blah. Right? All these excuses that can come in. And I'm not even talking about serving others. I'm just talking about even a devotional life with the Lord. And I am chief sinner among those. Everything that can come up gets in the way. Why? Because I've lost being diligent, just being diligent along the way. You see, what, what God has called us to do, what God has called us to do in this interim time from the ascension to the return is to be diligent about His work to be diligent to do what God has called you to do. And I'll challenge you this also, church, to do what God has called First Pflugerville to do. 
You see, y'all are about to enter into an exciting and scary new chapter. Why do I know? Anything new can be scary, right? When they changed old Coke to new Coke, that was scary. It's also not a good idea, but that's beside the point, right? Change can be scary, but change can also be exciting and exhilarating because we get to see God beginning to do new things. The wonderful old message of the gospel shown and poured out in new ways at this location. God is calling First Baptist, and regardless of West, God is calling First Baptist to do amazing things for His kingdom. God's calling you to do amazing things for His kingdom, and that amazing thing may just be picking up the phone and giving someone an encouragement. That may be making sure that your grandchildren know that they are loved regardless of their choices right now, right? So often we pass judgment with people that aren't, that aren't like us or are doing things that we don't necessarily agree with. It's fine to go ahead and say, hey, this is not a good idea, but make sure that you're following that up with a hug. Make sure you're following that up with, with that kindness, right? I don't know what God's called you to do. I don't know what God's laid on your heart. I, I'm, I'm, I'm driving back up to Dallas here in a minute. I've got to get back to church for a church meeting here in just a minute. I don't know what God's laid on your heart, but I know He's going to lay something on your heart. And the question is, are you going to be mindful that that's His responsibility, his, his property, not, not yours? Are you going to be focused on that and what you need to do? And are you going to be diligent to the end? Because here's the scary thing, people. The master's coming back. We can't stop it. It's not like we can hope that he's not going to come back until we get our house in order. He's coming back. And the question is, are you ready? Are you ready? And if you're not, you need to get to work. You need to get to work. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for this time. Father, I want to thank you that you are God and we are not, that you are sovereign and we are just servants. And Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus Christ, you would help us to recognize what it means to be a servant of the Most High. God, I recognize right now that in this room, there are many troubles and problems and issues that I couldn't even begin to imagine. But you know them, you care for them, And you can provide a way to see them through. So, Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would begin to pour out your grace on these people. Pour out your grace on this congregation. Would you please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, begin to pour new life into everyone here and in turn the body of Christ that you provided here. Would you give them fresh visions for what you have called them to do and give them the diligence and obedience to carry that through? And Father, this morning, if there is anyone in here who has not claimed your son as their Lord, would you please work on their heart? Would you please open up their eyes to recognize that he is worthy of worship he is worthy of adoration, that he is worthy to be praised, and that without him there is no life. So God, I pray for the person in here right now that feels that there is no life in their, in their life, that there's no light in their life, that there's no hope in their life. I pray that right now, God, that you would demonstrate to them by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is that hope, that Jesus is that light, that Jesus is that life. 
Would you please do that, God? Give them, give them the courage, give them the power, give them the faith, God. Give them the faith to respond so they can recognize and see that you are Lord. God, again, I, I pray that this church, the church that's dear to my heart, that's dear to the heart of so many, would be, would be seen as a church that's looking forward and not back, a church that's looking to the cross and not the crowds, a church that is focused on your glory and not the glory of themselves. So God, I, I believe our, the church as a whole wants that. So please, Father, guide us along that way. And I want to pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.